Welcome to On Demand. Today we talk about decisions. You know, maturity demands that you make decisions. If you're a father, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader, you've got to make decisions. And let me tell you, in this day and age, when all this stuff is going on, decision making is really important. So how do you make some decisions? We got a lot we're going to talk about today. It's just going to be a great journey you don't want to miss. This is a sample of a future series I'm going to do down the road where I'm going to talk more about decisions. But today, get your Bible open to Acts chapter 7. I'm going to show you how two men made decisions that changed their lives. Stay right there. Enjoy this on demand. It's a blessing to your life. Everybody in life wants to believe that they are mature, especially as you get older, right? You want to feel like you, you've grown up, you've paid your dues, you've become this mature person. And that's what this series is about. And if you're going to be a mature person, there are certain things that maturity demands. And one of them is it demands that you make decisions. Now, there is a very wonderful series I'm going to start in a few weeks that's going to talk about this whole issue of decision-making. I'm going to give you a, a layout, and, uh, but for now, uh, I just want to do a little quick summary of some ideas. And I want to show you how two people made a decision that changed their lives. It is important for you to understand this is your life. And just like this is my phone, you ready? This is my phone, right? And so with my phone, I'm responsible for what's on this phone. I'm responsible for maintaining the phone. The same thing is true with my life. I'm responsible for the decisions I make. And a lot of times when you see people as they age, what you see is the result of a set of decisions. The way they relate to people, the way they manage their money, the way they manage their body, all of it is going to come back to be a part of your reality. And you can ignore it. You can pretend it doesn't exist, but it does. Sometimes you see it in the lack of options. Sometimes you see it in the lack of um, discipline. You see it in the lack of relationships. They burn all the bridges all the way throughout their life. I told this person off. I told that person off. I told, I, let that, I gave it to them. You know, okay, you do that. But at the end of the day, you might be by yourself. And you won't have the kinds of relationships you want because of the choices you make. You don't have the resources, the money, the opportunity, the flexibility, the control of your time. I can go on and on. Well, in this story today, in, in the book of, of, of Acts, we're going to look at chapter 7, and there's a guy named Stephen. And Stephen is going to uh, preach a message that's going to um, enrage some people around him. And they're going to make some decisions. Stephen's going to make a decision to respond to them in a way that's profound. Then later on in the story, we're going to look at a guy named Paul. I'm going to see a decision he made and then see how he changed his life. This is all about watching people make decisions. The Bible is a great book because it gives you this insight. Let me, it kind of gets you up in the satellite and says, look down. Let me show you how people lived. Let me show you how they decided things. And then you have an opportunity to use that as an example for your life. So look with me at the book of Acts, chapter 7, starting at verse 54. When the number of members of the Sanhedrin heard this, this what, sermon that Stephen had preached, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I want to pause there for a minute and I want you to follow me in the story. Stephen preaches a message to them that basically condemns them. He talks about how carnal they were. You can read it on your own. It's in the first part of Acts chapter 7 and how they'd gotten off track. And he said, you, you really are uncircumcised in heart and ears, which was really an insult for a Jewish person. 
In other words, he was saying to them, you have no covenant with God. You're not living right. He just really lays it on them. And the Bible says in verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin, that was a group of, of religious leaders, when they heard this, the Bible said they were furious and they began to grit their teeth and they, they ran toward him. Now, in describing them, you see anger. But in describing Stephen, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Which means he was full of God. He was smiling. He, was, he, didn't, he didn't say it to be mean. He was just communicating what he saw. And when the Bible goes on, it says, verse 56 says, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to hit him with stones. They began to stone him. Now, I want you to think about this a minute. There's something about this moment that shows you the power of a decision. They decided as a group to not listen to Stephen they decided as a group to attack Stephen. They decided as a group they wanted nothing to do with his viewpoint. And let me just say to you, that happens in life. Now, this is an extreme moment, but that, this is an example of what some people can decide to do. It's really difficult to deal with people who've decided to not listen to you. It's really difficult to decide to, 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 to deal with people who've made a decision that you're the enemy. That's what's happening in this story. And it's, it, it leads to violence. And in some cases, that's exactly what happens. So they drag him out. And the Bible said something interesting. It said, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. I want you to think about this a minute. In the story, you got three main characters. You got the Sanhedrin guys, the leaders, right, who are listening to the second guy, Stephen, right, and Saul, the third guy, who is holding the coats of people who are stoning Stephen. The Sanhedrin guys, the leaders, the religious guys, are so furious at the message that Stephen gave, they want to kill him. So please note, Stephen, on the other hand, is on the receiving end of this, and he's decided to just, if you read on in the story, forgive them. He prays for them. He's not angry. He's just saying what he believes is true. And then Saul is standing there saying, let me hold your coat. Gotcha. Let me hold your coat. Yeah, let me hold your coat. Go ahead and hit him with a rock. I mean, it's just this ugly moment. Everybody's making a decision. And then what's interesting is if you read further, there's this great moment in verse 59. It says, while they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, stoning him, rather, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he had, had said this, he fell asleep. He just died. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. Here's a guy being stoned, hit upside the head with rocks, and he's praying for the people who are throwing the rocks at him. That was the decision he made. He decided not to retaliate the way, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't help anyway. This, he, he decided to embrace this moment, embrace death, embrace the end. I did my best. I made the best decisions I could. That's the end. I'm done. I'm not going to worry about it. Lord, forgive them. I love the fact that in the midst of this horrible moment, he can make an amazing decision. Can you? Wow. That's an example to look at. Sometimes when we get to these horrible moments when people are treating us unfairly, we make the worst decision that we've ever made. Not this guy. At the end of his life. Now, I know this can sound strange to you, and it really sounds, it sounds uniquely strange to me, too, because I don't know if I wouldn't have thrown a rock back or two myself. That's just me, okay? But I think, I think, I look at this guy and I go, wow, what an incredible attitude. What an incredible perspective, Lord, please help me have it. 
But then notice with me the second part of this. I want you to see is Paul's decision. Now, in chapter 8, if you go to Acts chapter 8, you see this. Paul took this moment when he, the guy who was holding the coats, right, of all these people, as they stoned Stephen, and he takes it to the next level. Paul decides to go after those Christian people. Paul was a Pharisee, he was a religious leader, and he felt they were teaching about this Jesus, and he didn't want anything to do with that. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root this evil out of our, our country. So he goes after them like nobody else. Chapter 8 says this in verse 1, Saul approved of their killing, you know, of their, their killing him. He thought it was great, kill him, kill Stephen. He approved it. One day, a great persecution broke out against the church, he goes on to say, in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Persecution breaks out in the church. Now all the saints, all the Christians are running. And let me just say this to you. That's an interesting technique that God uses. He allows persecution to come to push us to do things. In this season that we're dealing with right now, I do believe some of that is true. That the pressures we face in the church, the pressures we face financially, the pressures we face with attendance, all the things that I see are pressures that are pushing us to make decisions. And it's also, watch this now, it pushed them beyond their comfort zone and it made them leave town. They were scattered, the Bible says, throughout all Judea and Samaria. So if you were trying to put that in your mind, if you could make, I'm living in Savannah, Georgia, right? Savannah, you know, would be Jerusalem, right? And then you'd say, you'd say Georgia would be Judea and then Samaria would be South Carolina and then the uttermost parts of the earth would be the United States and the beyond. So it was like they were scattered from one area to the next area to the next area and eventually all over the place. And the persecution, the killing of Stephen was the launching of this, of this, this, this transition. <clears throat> Some of the things that we're dealing with today are having this impact. The church is being scattered in ways that's never been scattered. It's being scattered in a digital format, though. There are a lot of people who were home, uh, who were at church, who are now going to be home and never go back to church. I understand that. There are people who were, and some of these preachers are saying, well, don't say that, don't say that. The tendency has already said it. A lot of people now are going to be fidgetal. They're going to, and put that word up for you again, fidgetal. You see that word? They're going to be digital and physical. And that's the world we're going to live in. This is a scattering of the church through a, a difficult moment. Difficult moments force you to rethink everything you do, every way you process, every way you look at things. I know it's not comfortable. This wasn't comfortable, but this is what, what happened. God allowed this moment to push them to a new place. But sometimes we just get too comfortable. Here's what I think about church. I'm not against church. I'm, big, I'm a big church guy, pastor of church, okay? But we like to sit, sit in the barracks and march around. We want to sit in the barracks and raise our hands and march around and, and greet our friends and say hi and fellowship and nothing like the fellowship of the believers. I agree. True. I like people. But that's not our assignment. Our assignment is not to come in here and have a good feeling, quickening, quickening moment. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the message. What we've become, if we're not careful, is a social club that doesn't have an evangelistic mindset. I'm amazed at all the things we've been doing since we could not meet as much as we used to meet, and our numbers are so large, it's not safe for us to meet in a consistent way in the facilities that we have. So we had to become creative. We've always been digital, just for the record. Since 07, we've been streaming, since 2007. We've been streaming, we've been doing all this stuff for years. 
But what's amazing is now I'm seeing it spread throughout the world. People are now realizing this is an effective way to do things. Some people will never fly all the way to California to have a meeting and they can have a Zoom meeting in their office and get as much done in an hour rather than spending all that money to fly from here to California for an hour meeting. There are some things that we're going to change forever. Some conferences will always be online because you don't have to go spend thousands of dollars to fly there. Being well, Rick, Tampa, hold on for a second. Ain't not like being with people. I agree. Let's be with people sometimes. I'm not saying you can't do it sometimes, but now we have more than one option. For example, you don't go to the bank anymore and stand in line and wait to transfer money from account to account. Why? Because you have other options. What happened in this moment in the persecution was the church was forced to do something different. The message wasn't just in Jerusalem. It moved to Judea. It wasn't just in Savannah. It moved to Georgia. Then it moved to South Carolina. Then it moved to, to, to other regions of the country. It began to spread. That's what Jesus wants. I don't know that we want that. I think we want to have a country club, a spiritual country club where we all gather around each other and look at each other. Break a temple, sound like you're just against fellowship. The Bible said that we have, need to have koinonia, fellowship. I understand that. I support it. I support fellowship, but I think the world needs God. The world does. And we need to find ways to go to the world and reach them. And we're not reaching them. <clears throat> how many times, how many times have you said to yourself, this isn't working? Young people are dropping out of church like flies. Income is dropping in places. A lot of churches are losing attendance. Why? Why? I mean, just, 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 don't just blame the devil. Why? Could it be that you could take this moment and use it to reach more people? I say we can. And this story, that's what happened. Persecution came. Trouble came. The gospel spread. And the Bible said in verse 3 of chapter, Acts chapter 8, Saul began to destroy the church, the physical church. He began to destroy the church. That's a pretty strong word. The Bible said, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women. He did not care what you were. And put them in prison. <laughs> this is a mess. This, this is a, for a person who's trying to serve God, this is scary. They were, they killed Stephen. They were persecuting Christians. They were scattered abroad. They were dragging them out of their homes. Imagine that, dragging them out of their homes. That's, that's the moment they were in, and they had to decide to deal with it. You know what they did? They went to other places. They found new places to preach. They scattered abroad, and the gospel spread with them. You may not like the options you have right now, but if you embrace those options, the gospel will spread. It, you may not have the job you want, but you get a job someplace and you can make this work. Don't worry, your life will expand. You may not have the friends you used to have, but you have an opportunity to expand. It, it may come through persecution. It may come through a difficult season. It may have taken the loss of a job. It may have taken the loss of an opportunity. You may have lost a marriage. 
Things may not have worked out, but that's okay. You feel scattered. It's okay. Out of that can come something good. If you can allow it. But it's up to you. And what I've learned is sometimes the decisions you make teach you things. Saul is an example of it. He decided to persecute the church. He decided after watching Stephen be stoned that this is this can't be. But in the middle of that moment, something was happening. In the middle of that moment, when he saw that young man being stoned and praying for those who were stoning him. So that means he was praying for the guy who was holding the coats of those who were stoning him. And as Saul dragged all those people out of their home and persecuted Christians and hated the gospel of Jesus Christ, something happened in Acts chapter nine where he made another decision. See, here's what I believe. You can make a wrong decision, then you can make a right decision. You can go in the wrong direction, then you can go in the right direction. Your money can be awful, but then it can be amazing. Your health can be bad, but then it can be strong. You can be a person who can't hardly walk and now, and eventually you'll be able to run. I believe that things in your life can turn completely around and it comes through pain sometimes. Persecution, challenge, difficulty. Man, mm. sometimes the road to a better decision is through a bad decision. If you hear that again, the road to a better decision sometimes comes through a bad decision. You got to make a bad turn. For some of you, that was prison. For some of you, that was a loss of a marriage. For some of you, that was a loss of a life. Some of you, for some of you, it was going being victimized. You, you were victimized. And through that victimization, you were hurt, but you came out of it. And now you're going to make new decisions and be a better person. Acts chapter nine. Listen to what happened to this guy named Saul that we know as Paul, the apostle. Verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked, verse two, for, for letters to the synagogue, to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there. Who belonged to what they call the way, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Any of the way where the men or women that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, on his way to persecute more Christians, on his way to, to let his rage out on believers, men and women, didn't care. Mothers, fathers, didn't care. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, here's an insight. Sometimes when you see people making bad decisions, you don't know that they're struggling in, inside with a good decision. Back there in the side of their brain, something saying, you know, you ain't right. You shouldn't be going over there. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, there's something in you that's kind of got you. Now, I don't know. And Saul is in, he's having a struggle, but you can't tell on the outside. Just like some of you. Nobody can tell you thinking about your walk with God and your life and where you're going, and the direction you're on. Right now. But, you know, in your heart, you're like this guy. So watch what happens to him. The Bible said he neared, verse 3, he neared Damascus on, on his journey and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then verse 5, here is the question of the ages. Who are you, Lord? Now, I know you must be the Lord because you knocked me off this animal and I'm down on the ground and the lights are bright and I can't see. Who are you, Lord? And the answer changes his life. 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The rest of the story is, is history. He comes to Christ, becomes an incredible preacher, becomes an incredible guy. He changes his life, he changes his view, and he makes different decisions from then on. He becomes the most incredible scholar, writes two-thirds or a great portion of the New Testament. He's the guy who's incredible. And it all came in a moment, one decision, one moment. What does it take to get you to change? What are you going to need to happen to you before you make a different set of decisions? It's so easy to be stubborn like the Sanhedrin was and just stone Stephen without considering what he's saying. It's so easy to hold the coat of somebody and stand there and watch them be murdered. It's so easy to not care. We live in a culture that's surprising to me. And I'm going through this season in my own life where I'm thinking, man, wow, I didn't know people thought this way. I had no idea that people would feel this way or react this way. You know, when you saw those people in Acts chapter 7 running after Stephen to kill him and stone him, you, would, you go, wow, I didn't know people could be so violent so suddenly. I didn't think that they could just run in there and do that kind of damage. You know, we've seen that recently in our history where you, you just were amazed at the level of violence and anger and racism and and prejudice and, and disregard for, for people, I mean, and property and everything. It's just like, God, hell, how in the world, did we, how did this happen? When a riot breaks out, you go, wow, I didn't know that pent-up anger was there. There's something about difficult moments that bring light. And if you're not careful, you'll miss the value of this season because this is the season that teaches you what's inside of us because that's what's coming out of us. Rebellion, lack of respect for leadership, lack of respect for parents, um, a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. We're seeing all of that manifested now. And now when I thought we were further along, even as Christians, I thought we were further along. I thought we could call right, right and wrong, wrong. I thought we could work together. I never even imagined, and this is the truth, that we could be so divided and so apart and make such incredibly wrong decisions. Mature people have to make courageous decisions. They have to make a courageous decision to say, I'm not, not going to be that way anymore. I'm not going to argue with my wife over that anymore. I'm not going to fight my kids over that anymore. I'm not going to act this way. I'm not going to be that way. I'm done. That's not gonna, how I'm going to live. I've got to make a decision. So what is your decision today, my friend? What do you want for your life? I'll tell you, I made a decision in mind. I want God's best. I want to change my life direction. But in order to do that, I can't panic. And next time we come together, I'm going to talk about that. Don't panic. Stay cool, stay calm, and stay collected. I want to show you the power in our next study. I want to show you how you can make some decisions in your life that can change everything in your life. I'm going to take you to the book of James and we're going to take our walk down the road how a person can come to a place where they say, you know what? I need to be confident and I need to do what it takes to have the life I want. And I, I'm telling you, we got a serious study coming that's going to help us get there. We're a couple of weeks away from that study starting on confidence 
But first of all, I'm going to show you, you're going to be mature. You just can't panic. Stay with me next week. Let me pray with you today. Father, I pray for those who've heard their message today. Let them come to that point where they say, I get it. I'm clear. I need to stop being nervous. I need to rest in you and trust you. And I pray that the hand of the living God would give us peace, grace, and guidance. Thank you for the difference you're going to make. I pray for those who are listening today who'd say, I've never, ever given my life to Christ, but I want to start a life with Jesus. I want to get my life moving in the right direction. And I need to, I need, I need to be a mature person today and admit I need God in my life. I've got to make a decision about how I want to live, raise my family, where I want to go. Let this be the moment that they make that decision. And so we thank you for the opportunity and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I pray that helps you in your decision making. You saw the journey of Stephen, the decision he made, and you saw the decision of those around Stephen, the leaders in the church, they lost their way and made some bad decisions, attacked him. And then you saw the Apostle Paul swing around and make a great decision. You know, sometimes in life, you see people make bad decisions. Sometimes you're the victim of a bad decision. But the question is, what kind of decisions are you going to make? You've heard a sermon today that challenged you to consider your side of this issue. And I hope that you think about what we talked about. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray that those who've heard this today would say, you know what? I want to be like Paul. I want to come to my senses. I want to turn myself around. I want to find a new direction. And I pray for people who are like Stephen. They're the victims of somebody else's bad decision. And I pray, God, that you'd give them grace and peace in this season of their life. I thank you and praise you for your power and for what Jesus can do to change a life. And I pray we'd all be open to making good decisions in Jesus' name. Thank you for being with me today on demand. It's an amazing opportunity to share the word of God with you. I hope that if you liked it, you'll link it and send it to a friend and share this word with someone that you know that's trying to make some decisions. I've got more coming down the road here on decision making. You don't want to miss. So stay with us. I'll see you next time. Bye bye.